0: one of the issues that makes the data breach just you know so significant I mean we've dealt with Yahoo data breach we've dealt with other data breach but here the sole purpose of Experian was to keep this data sacrosanct, this personal private data that it obtained through third parties, and it utterly failed uh, the, the public the the business structure of
1: Equifax or a security agency is by definition to secure and keep safe personal information and when that purpose fails, there is no second
2: chance. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network.
3: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams, coming to you from
4: Southern California. I write a legal blog called May it please the court. This is Bob Ambroji coming to you from out of Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites, also co-host another Legal Talk Network show called Law Technology Now with Monica Bay.
3: And Bob, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Clio and Latera. Clio's cloud based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at Clio.com. That's C L I O.com. And Latera. Latera is the authority on document creation, collaboration, and control. You can increase your productivity, collaborate securely, and ensure protection of your vital information. You can learn more at Latera.com.
4: The credit reporting agency, Equifax, experienced a massive data breach recently, exposing the personal and financial data of 143 million U.S. consumers, including Social Security numbers, names, birth dates, addresses, even license numbers. Originally, Equifax reported that the breach occurred sometime from mid-May mid, mid through July, but now reports have surfaced that uh, there could have been breaches as far back as March 2017.
3: Well, Bob, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to discuss this Equifax breach, what went wrong, the litigation, the potential impact, and what customers need to do now if they've discovered that they're victims of this breach.
4: To help us do that today, we have two guests who've uh, given a lot of thought to this issue. Uh, let me first introduce uh, a returning guest, Andrew Rosso. Drew is an associate attorney at Gregory M. Gant Company uh, Law Firm in Dayton, Ohio, Uh, where, in addition to their general practice, Drew's passion lies in the areas of cyberspace law and technology law. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer, Drew.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back.
4: Our next guest is
3: attorney Ben Mycelos. He's an associate at Garagos & Garagos APC. His practice includes personal injury law, civil rights, class actions, and complex business disputes. The Garagos law firm is leading the class action lawsuit against Equifax. Welcome to the show, Ben.
0: Thanks for having me.
3: So, Drew,
4: uh, give us give us just for anybody who hasn't heard about this. If there's anybody out there uh, who hasn't, what happened here?
1: Sure. Well, for those who haven't heard, uh, Equifax is one of the major three credit bureau agencies in the country that monitors consumers' identity and private information. Apparently, what happened is that there was a breach that was going on from between May, June, and July of this past year that was announced to the public only in September. And as of recently, as you mentioned, we just found out that it, the breach may have gone back as far as early as, as March. And what investigation has uncovered thus far is that there was an exploitation of a website program called Apache Struts, which is a framework for web servers that help companies, including a lot of Fortune 500 corporations, to take in and serve up data. And at some point, whatever criminal hacker or organization that caused this breach somehow found some sort of vulnerability in this program.
3: Wasn't this a vulnerability that was known to Equifax before it was hacked?
1: Yes, it was. And I believe from what reports have said that there was a patch done on some of these possible vulnerabilities as early as the beginning of March, and about two to three months later is when the problem started, allegedly.
3: So is that something then that, that tends to indicate that uh is more of the issue than Equifax?
1: You know, I, I think it's hard to say, but it, it's definitely something to consider in a situation like this where you have a program that had some vulnerabilities, patches or updates were released to hopefully fix those vulnerabilities, and then something to this magnitude happens after the fact.
4: Ben, I think I think this incident has had a lot of people uh, wondering, why is it in the first place that Equifax has all this information about us? I mean, I've never done business with Equifax. I've never authorized Equifax to... Is have any of my information. I've never given them any of my information that I'm aware of. I, 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 what's the source of them having all this? And, and, and my view um, is that the trading
0: in personal identity, whether it's on uh, social media, whether it's through credit monitoring agencies, and you know people monitor their credit through Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, and others, LifeLock, other third parties, that are used and utilized and intended to protect this information in their monitoring of it in looking up an individual's credit scores and credit reports ultimately have to go to these, you know, there's only a handful of them out there, you know, Experian Equifax and TransUnion um, who profit off of this personal um, data. And uh, one of the, issues that makes this data breach just, you know, so significant. I mean, we've dealt with Yahoo data breach, we've dealt with other data breach, but here the sole purpose of Experian was to keep this data sacrosanct, this personal private data that it obtained through third parties, um, and it utterly failed uh, the, the public.
3: How did, how did they get it? I mean, I didn't give permission to Equifax to have my Social Security number. So who, who gave it to them? And am I should be worried about whatever third party gave it to them?
0: I, I, think, I think you absolutely should be worried about the third parties that give it to them. And the third parties include when people run your credit scores at, at a local level, be it at a, you know, a car dealership or uh, when you're seeking loans from a bank and they have to run your credit scores. Um, to when you are monitoring your credit scores from third parties, if you have LifeLock. Um, We hear a lot of people who have LifeLock and other credit monitoring agencies who then contract with Equifax, uh, Experian, TransUnion to monitor to make sure your credit scores are up to snuff. And uh, a lot of the people just feel utterly and totally betrayed by, by Equifax because the very issues that they were responsibly monitoring by reaching out to third party agencies, whether it be LifeLock or others that protect your credit. Um, when you made sure that you're able to buy a house or buy a car and making sure your credit score was was ideal, you know, they contracted with, with Equifax and, and Experian. And Equifax was a major depository for this information through third parties that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. And people feel utterly betrayed that this party that they didn't even know had their data isn't protecting their data.
4: Drew, what do we know about what these attackers actually got uh, of, of our of our personal information?
1: Well, as of today, om- almost everything, Your, the names, addresses, date of birth, social security numbers, credit card information, and in some cases, driver's license numbers. So Almost all the type of personal information, as Ben was saying, as you, you would expect to be kept uh, locked up and away from the average individual or even business.
3: So ultimately, how are we able to protect ourselves? I mean, it, it seems like with a number of hacks that have occurred around the world, you can't really do anything other than require these companies to airlock their data, which is like unplug from the Internet. Is there really a solution that's safe to protect your data unless there's an airlock?
1: Well, you know, I think in the digital age that we're in today, we create our own digital footprint in a sense. And anytime we go online, anytime we pick up our smartphone and browse the internet, we put a small trace of ourselves or some personal information out there, whether we realize it or not. And I think at this stage where we're in a situation uh, as a conglomerate of consumers is that we need to be smart. We need to better or closely monitor our bank statements, our credit reports, and make sure that nothing looks fishy or we're getting, you know, spam calls. I mean, there's, there's a ton of different avenues that can be taken. It's just a matter of do we know for certain if we've actually been personally impacted yet.
4: Well, what about? I mean, we, we've heard about the fact that Equifax has set up a site where uh, consumers can go in and check to determine if they've, uh, if their information has been exposed. I, I, I know. Uh, I think Craig uh, has, has said that he's he's started that process, but not not finished it. Uh, I haven't even started that process. But what what do the two of you advise? Uh, People said. So we'll talk about lawsuit and litigation in a moment. But but in the short term, in the immediate term, what are you uh, advised people should do? uh, uh, You know, on the chance that their information has been exposed.
0: And here's what I think. One of the issues, though, with the Equifax security site, though. Is you know any uh, you know person technological professional will tell you that the very site they created further exposed people um, to what's called you know phishing um, with the PH two that allows hackers to um, potentially even access your, your your data if it wasn't part of the hack because the name itself provided very little security protection you know Equifax Security twenty seventeen hackers are very you know easily able to create variations or gradations of that name and you may be checking the wrong website to begin with so there's been a lot of outrage so
4: there could be dummy sites out there and people could be getting uh, attracted to dummy sites and giving over their personal information is what you're saying
0: correct and 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 even though some of the other credit reporting agencies are charging fees you know i'm recommending to my clients at this point just stay away from uh, Equifax. I mean, just stay away from them, even if it's free. You know, you can't trust this company right now. And as the news, you know, I mean, for example, one of the options for people is a credit freeze, um, free credit monitoring. Equifax is doing both for free, a credit freeze and credit monitoring. Um, I wouldn't trust my data with Equifax, you know, ever again, even if you knew or if you didn't know that you had it there. In the first place, you know, I would much rather go to one of the others.
4: But but isn't there a catch-22 with that? I mean, we don't have any choice over the fact that they've got our data in the first place. We didn't give it to them in the first place. They've got it regardless.
3: Right. And and the follow-up, yeah, and Bob, the follow-up question to that is, what do we do to get our information out of their hands? Can we write a letter to Equifax and TransUnion and say, hey, you're not allowed to have my information? Delete it.
1: You know, I think that's a point of, or what, what the goal is in, Future litigation is, you know, we don't know what precedent will be set or could be set as a result of this. But I, I do think on a personal level that that is one of the major goals, or would be one of the major goals of these lawsuits or class actions that are brought.
4: Well, what is what is the, uh, you know, Ben? Your firm has has filed uh, a class action, uh, I think, based in Oregon, if I've got that right. Uh, I know there've been uh, other, at least at least one other, maybe a couple of other class actions filed at this point what is what is your uh, class action looking for in terms of relief here uh,
0: and and there's probably now somewhere in the in the dozens of class actions and they're all being or uh, filtering through this consolidation process but at the most basic level what we're seeking is restitution to make people whole for the injuries that they sustained at your most basic baseline level that's Giving individuals um, credit monitoring is generally one of the remedies um, that you have in data breach cases and determining what that can cost over a number of years. And generally, for a few years of credit monitoring from a well-respected credit monitoring agency or site, that could be several hundred dollars uh, a month. But then the uh, perhaps a subclass that we're going to find or we already are starting to see are individuals who not just the threat of their identity you know, being stolen out there, but actual people who have really traceable pecuniary harm, you know, false accounts being set up in areas and banks that they're unaware of, because someone not only you know, leaked the data but actually stole the data from the dark web and has been using it for a nefarious purpose. And thirdly, in addition to monetary, um, as Drew mentioned, you know through the injunctive relief powers. Class action lawyers are often able to accomplish what politicians, what Congress, what our local legislatures have been unable to do. You know, in every financial controversy or crisis that we've had, um, you know, we've had a, a Dodd Frank or we've had a Sarbanes Oxley, but I think you really need to have a strong regulatory framework as well, which hopefully these class actions inspire. Um, you know, in which the injunctive relief can begin that discussion and hopefully a more robust discussion happens, though, where proactively and preemptively, the executives of these companies are being held personally accountable and responsible for data breaches by signing under penalty of perjury that they're adopting the appropriate patches. And as you mentioned, you said, well, um, you know, is it the fault of the Apache struts that uh, is open software? Is it is it their fault? Well, the real issue here that made Equifax just so, so responsible, which made their response just so horrible, is that the most basic IT professional would say, there is a patch out there which fixed it very simply. And you would have beat the hackers in the first place, as mostly everyone else did. But this company that traded in your personal secrets waited. They did nothing. They make billions and billions of dollars every year, and they didn't make that change. But with our injunctive relief, in addition to the monetary compensation, you know, we hope that, that there's affirmative relief that the court orders these credit agencies to be more transparent with their data, to let the public know what the heck is going on and make sure this never happens again. You know, even if that means, and, and this is where it's headed, bankrupting Equifax.
3: Is this a situation where this information is now so, uh, should be kept so sacrosanct that we basically need to establish a government Fort Knox for this information and then let only uh, people access it through uh, government? Can we, can we take this out of private sector hands if that's in fact an appropriate remedy? And is it a remedy?
0: And I think that Equifax has so utterly failed in the challenge that they've been given, which is their entire business model of protecting this data. In terms of the level of government intrusion, you know, I think that that's up for debate whether it should be entirely held, you know, within, within a government agency. But there really needs to be proactively, prophylactically, which does not exist, a regulatory framework that's established with, with a great degree of oversight Um, preemptively um, to try to avoid this ever happening ever again. And, you know, one of the recommendations that I've made and I've been, you know, tweeting about and, and telling people about is it starts with motivating the executives who make millions and millions of dollars from these corporations that trade in personal data, personally responsible for not coming up with and not developing and not having the most up to date security protections that are there it's just entirely unacceptable that you are not adopting downloading within your IT departments you know basic updates that you know anyone with you know the most basic degree in in IT could do
4: we are going to take a short break right now uh, stay with us we'll be right back for further discussion of the Equifax breach Documents are the currency of business. They represent you in every business interaction. Executives need to know what changes have occurred in documents, what metadata risks exist, and how to encrypt, share, and collaborate securely. Vatera simplifies the document creation and collaboration process to protect you from risk and loss of reputation. Vatera offers better solutions for document lifecycle management so you can focus on doing what really matters ww.laterra.com. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, CLIO streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months. When you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, and I are talking about the Equifax breach with two guests, Drew Rosso an attorney with the firm of Gregory M. Gant Company in Dayton, Ohio, and Ben Micellis, an associate at Garagos & Garagos in Los Angeles. Uh, and Drew, I, I just was just thinking uh, in, in our last segment as we're talking about better ways to pr- protect this data uh whether by equifax or by the government or or anybody else uh there's been so much talk about blockchain in the legal profession uh, lately uh could 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 blockchain be a remedy here could could blockchain be a more secure way to store uh and and uh, uh uh keep track of some of this very sensitive data
1: absolutely and you know as as you said it is kind of a newer type of concept in terms of encryption and a more secure way of transmitting information. And I think in a situation like this, to add on to what Ben was saying before our break, is that this is one of these situations where there really is no second chance. You know, the the, the business structure of Equifax or a security agency is by definition to secure and keep safe personal information. And when that purpose fails there is no second chance. You have to look for alternatives. How we go about that, I'm not sure, but I think blockchain is definitely a, a, a strong possibility. And if you look at some of these you know, other criminal cases over the years, I know I recently just did a piece over the, the Silk Road uh, case that took place, I think, back in 2011, where there was a huge amount of information going through Tor and the dark web, but the the key was the blockchain and that it was so difficult to decrypt the type of information that was being sent that it it just takes so much effort. And I think that's, that's definitely an option in this case.
3: And before we were, before the break, we were also talking about the, what needs to happen to some of the executives in this situation. And there's been some rumors that I've seen that the uh, CIO or one of the executives that were in charge of the situation had had a music degree. Uh, and and then immediately after the breach occurred, we have executives that have been alleged to have dropped a couple million dollars in corporate stocks. W- what's going on, and, and what needs to happen?
0: You have corporate executives here that are totally and utterly devoid of accepting responsibility here. I, you know, as, as I've said, both from a legal standpoint and a public relations standpoint, and in human decency standpoint, this is a company that's done every single thing wrong from the moment um, from withholding information from the public for months. And now it's clear many, many, many months um, that there was this breach that took place from having originally what was clear to anybody in the legal community, what they were doing was having these arbitration clauses that they were trying to bind consumers who were seeking the quote-unquote free credit protection monitoring from Equifax into arbitration so that they couldn't sue, then later clarifying after there was public outrage from attorney generals and senators across the nation that um, they clarified that, you know, in fact, they are not going to be compelling um, these arbitrations, which was a a big, important uh, win um, to the corporate executives selling and dumping stock um, before it was announced to the public, I mean, this is a company that's handled everything very poorly. Um, you know I, we haven't seen on the news or TV really the uh, Equifax CEO, uh, Richard Smith, going out there and accepting um, you know really accepting responsibility, really communicating and directing uh, the consumers. And you have a board that just seemed to have this business as usual you know mentality and really doesn't understand how this has affected people. And, you know, in our view, you know, these individuals need to resign. Um, they need to be, you know, or they need to be fired. You know, they're all going to be going for a congressional hearing uh soon. Um, and I think I'm very interested to watch how they do, but, you know, these individuals shouldn't be really working for this company anymore. Um, they should be out. There should be a responsible team that's put in, Um, you know, and if this was, you know, I think a, 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 in a foreign country where sometimes they permit the workers you know, and, and people of the public to be on these boards and not just a bunch of other millionaires and billionaires to stay on these boards. And I think you would have the company itself calling for a criminal investigation of itself.
3: What, what at this point does Joe Consumer and Jane Consumer need to do to protect themselves?
1: Well, you know, I think the, the first step is, as Ben mentioned earlier, is really stay away from Equifax. The the tool that they set up, whatever intentions the company had with setting it up, I st- you, you can't trust it right now, and there's no reason to trust it. But I know Annual Credit Report is offering, you know, their annual credit check. Uh, consumers can go to the identitytheft.gov website to find out possible solutions, as we mentioned before, credit freezes, uh, monitoring bank statements, even putting a fraud alert on, on your account or even filing taxes early. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different ways to go about it, but at the same time, there's really not enough information on the table yet to really know for sure what exactly to do other than just be diligent.
4: Is the greater danger to our existing uh, accounts or to... Uh, the uh... Uh, to people who have this information setting up uh, uh, you know identity theft, crea- stealing our information and creating new a- a- accounts in our name. Should we be going around and changing all of our passwords and whatever to our existing accounts, or is that not so much a threat?
1: You know, it, it never hurts to to change passwords, and I, I have one of those random password generators for most of my accounts. I can't remember half of them, but I have them written down and and it can't hurt. But at the same time, if you're looking or talking about a credit freeze where it doesn't prevent charges to existing accounts, but it does prevent new creditors or new activities coming out against those accounts, then then yes. But at the same time, what consumers can do is just change your accounts, make sure that your email uh, contacts are stable, make sure the messages you're receiving are of the typical nature that you would be receiving. You know, I had a a friend call me yesterday, ironically, and say, hey, I got called by a law firm that says uh, I'm getting sued for about $3,000 for a payday loan that I took out in 2009, but I've never taken out a loan in my life. What do I do? And, you know, whether that's a result of the breach or a result of, you know, personal information being out there on the web, it's hard to say.
4: We know the FBI is investigating this, uh, Ben. Could there be criminal charges here against uh, Equifax or executives there?
0: I, I think that that's a distinct possibility, and I think that they've lawyered up both in terms of the civil litigation and their exposure civilly and also criminally, also with the uh, SEC. Um, but but absolutely, you know, the the question's going to be um, was there – Uh, you know, was, is this a case of just mere negligence? Um, And I think that, you know, it's almost stipulated at this point that they were negligent. Uh, But does it go beyond that? And I think increasingly, day by day, we're uncovering, you know, we, the public, the class action attorneys, the politicians who are digging, not Equifax, who's being transparent, but each day we're seeing, no, this was, this was reckless. You know, this was, you know, this was punitive. I mean, you knew that you had all of this sensitive data and you didn't even have qualified individuals at the highest levels, um, you know, or at any level um, handling this data. And when there was a simple patch that could have you know, addressed this issue, you know, you were too busy doing whatever else was you were doing, making money, you know, and, and watching, you know, you know, watching the stock price that you didn't care about your core business model and did you just so recklessly throw this information out there and expose people and so there's there's a real possibility that this could rise to the level of a of a criminal negligence a recklessness something greater than just a mere civil liability
3: is there any reason to trust the other credit agencies or are we looking at something that's kind of a rampant issue within this industry
0: I think you have every right to be suspicious of, 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 of anyone. And as Drew mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, most of the major fortune 500 corporations are, you know, are or were using, um, this open source code, um, for their overall, you know, you know, digital framework that they were using. It wasn't just unique there. So everyone has the right to be suspicious, but, you know at this point until there's greater regulatory action i think that deals with with everybody else i i think at this point we certainly know as as drew said and I said you know would not trust equifax right now their platform their executives their leadership that's for sure um and at some point life has to go on and in this digi- digital age um you know your data is going to have to be handled by somebody else other than you know other than yourself i mean you no longer can literally buried data or personal information in the backyard. I mean, This information is out there, streaming live, exchanging hands every day.
4: Well, we are nearly at the end of our show, and uh, as always on this program, we like to give our guests the final word, give them an opportunity to give their closing thoughts. Uh, so uh, let's do that, and uh, Drew, let's start with
1: you. Well, I, I want to thank you for having me back on the show, and it's a pleasure to Speak with Ben and get a different take on things, especially with his involvement with the class action. But this is a scary situation, and you know it, everyone should be on guard. And it's a unique situation because there's not a lot of answers right now, and it, it's going to take litigation. It's going to take depositions and press statements to explain to the public what happened and why it happened and what, what is going to be done in the future in terms of how our data and information is handled.
3: Great. And how can our, our listeners reach out to you in case they'd like to get in touch with you?
1: Absolutely. Well, I do have my own Cyberbyte Newsbit series that I've started on my Facebook page. You can follow that at facebook.com slash Law, and on Twitter at Rosso Esq.
3: Thank you very much. And Ben, your final thoughts and your contact information?
0: Sure. And thanks for having me on the show. And Drew, it was um, great to meet you on on, on the show and hear your thoughts. You know, class action attorneys in general, you know, speaking as one, you know, often get a bad reputation. Um, you know, it has that, you know, uh, or, or it's been, I think, corroded by certain uh, ju- judicial branches and others by Congress, you know, and, and through various other regulations, the abilities to bring class actions have been um, eroded. And I think you see here a perfect example of how class actions can be helpful in bringing positive change, both in terms of restitution, um, financial relief to people who are injured, as well as injunctive relief, and how class actions can actually spur change, and that's what I mean when I say injunctive relief, which is that affirmative, compelling somebody to do something, you know, with the with the court order. But it shouldn't start with the class actions. You know, time and time again, I have class actions against major cable companies, um, against a number of corporations. But I always say, at some point, the class action is is a reactive modality. And we need proactive, prophylactic modalities that, you know, may limit the role of the class action attorney, but in the first instance, protect and prevent adverse things from happening to consumers. And here, I hope the class action really spurs this regulatory framework and that this is a shining example of the work that class action attorneys can do Um, and in the largest class action, I think, that's ever been filed in the United States history and also spur positive change and hopefully protect and prevent things like this from happening again. And so my firm is called Geragos and Geragos um, and you can contact me at the email address is uh, geragos at geragos dot com the website is geragos dot com spelled G-E-R A-G-O-S dot com thanks for having me on the show.
4: Well thanks for all the great work uh, both of you are doing uh, around this issue and uh, appreciated having you on the show and for your insights uh, on this topic uh, we've been Speaking with Andrew Rosso uh, from the uh, firm of Gregory M. Gantt Company and uh, Ben Mycellus from uh, Garagos and Garagos in Los Angeles. Great. And thank you, gentlemen. This is
3: Craig Williams with Bob Ambrosi. Thanks for listening. You can join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer.
2: Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes.